Wow, what a week, right? And I don't really mean that in a good way, right? I mean, a pandemic that just continues to rage on and seems like it's never going to end. Heartbreaking chaos in Afghanistan. The loss of 13 of our bravest. A Category 4 hurricane that's barreling towards the coast of Louisiana. Somebody said, if you're not freaking out, it's obvious you're not paying attention. But, but I would say for us as Christ followers, if we are freaking out, then it may be a warning sign that we are focusing on the wrong thing. That even in the midst of complete and total chaos upon chaos, a year's worth of craziness just compacted into a couple of days, if that freaks us out, then chances are we are focusing on something other than the God of the universe who is on his throne. He is in control in spite of what we see in the news and on Facebook. And he is faithful. We can trust him. And he is moving and working in ways that we could never even begin to imagine. And so I hope our time together today, whether you're in person at one of our campuses or connecting online, I hope this is an opportunity that encourages you to step away from all of the swirling chaos around you and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, the one who rules the nations. He is a good God. He is a loving God, and he is working in spite of what we can see and figure out on our own. And you know, part of helping us stay focused on Jesus in the midst of all of this chaos is this Habitude series that we've been in. And today we're in our fifth and final week of this series, this journey to explore the heart behind the habits that change our lives. Now, maybe if you're new or you've just been out for several weeks, you need to understand the goal, the big idea with this series was not only to help us develop daily habits that can strengthen our faith, but also to make sure that we're developing those habits with the right attitude. Because you can do the right thing, but if you have the wrong heart, the wrong motives, it can end up ending badly for you and for the people around you. And I think that's why the psalmist wrote these words in Psalm 119. He says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. You see, it's not just about performing the right statutes, doing the right behaviors. It's about making sure our heart is in the right place. And here's the thing. If you can merge the right habits with the right attitude, these habitudes can change not only your life, but they'll start to change the lives of people around you. And so that's why today I want to wrap up this series by looking at what for me is perhaps the best habitude for making a difference in your life and the lives of others, and that is to serve humbly. Develop the daily habit of serving others with an attitude of humility. And here's why this is so important, especially now, because few things will improve the quality of your life quicker 
than taking the focus off of you, of getting your eyes off yourself, your problems, your issues, your struggles, and begin to focus on the needs of the people around you. You weren't created to be the center of the universe. You cannot have joy and try to control everything and everyone around you. But if you can get your eyes off yourself, see and meet the needs of people around you, it will give you a joy that transcends circumstances and as a bonus, it will make a positive impact in the lives of others. But here's the thing. Pretty much everybody believes serving others is a good thing. That is a universal truth. That truth is built into every world religions. All religions believe that serving and helping others is a good thing. Even atheists and agnostics believe that it's good to help and serve others. What sets us apart as Christ followers is that our service must be done with true humility. Because you can serve others and still be self-centered. In fact, sometimes serving others is a veiled form of self-centeredness. I serve others because of the way it makes me look, for the affirmation, because other people will say, wow, isn't he a good guy? Isn't she a great gal to do all those good works? Sometimes I can serve others out of a need this, to meet my own need for recognition and affirmation. I serve to try to feel good about myself. Sometimes you can serve others as a form of trying to manipulate and control others. You do things for them with the expectation that they will return the favor, right? My wife, Terry, often accuses me of serving with ulterior motives. Like I'll be helping out around the house, doing things I don't normally do, you know, washing the dishes, cleaning, doing all this. And she'll go, I know what you're thinking about. I know what you're trying. You're thinking about later on tonight and a little bit of intimacy. And so you're doing all these things to be nice to me. And sometimes she's right. It's just a form of control and manipulation. That's why as Christ followers, we are not just called to serve others. We're called to serve with humility. Here's the problem. Humility doesn't play well with us. I mean, don't get me wrong. We love humility in other people, right? We want our leaders to be humble. We love it when our sports heroes show some humility. We want humble neighbors. We want a humble spouse. We want to have humble children and humble friends. We're just not sure we truly want to be humble, because true humility makes us vulnerable. We feel like somebody can take advantage of us. And yet Jesus shows us and teaches us that true humility is essential for truly serving others. In fact, look at what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. He says, in your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Think and act. That's a habitude, right? how I think and how I act. So what is Jesus' habitude? He did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. So what did he do? He gave up his place with God, left heaven, wrapped himself in human flesh, and made himself nothing. A baby born in a manger to one of the poorest families in the world. And as if that wasn't enough, he became a man and he became like 
a servant. Now that, folks, is a picture of true humility. So you've heard me say this before. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is just thinking of yourself less. Humility is not walking around feeling bad about yourself, that you're a bad person or you don't have any talents or, you know, you're like Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. I'm not much of a donkey. I'm just a sad sack. No, that is not humility. That's self-loathing. And you don't see that in Jesus' life. Jesus didn't come to earth and become a humble servant because that's all he could do or because he had some lack of self-worth in himself. He just simply made the choice to put the needs of others ahead of his home. And that's the heart of humility. And that has to be the heart behind our service to others. So here's what I want to do over the next few minutes. I want to look at four requirements for humble service. Four things that are essential if we're going to serve with humility. So let's jump in. Number one, humble service requires my availability. It requires my availability. I have to be available to serve others. See, for many of us, the biggest barrier to serving others is not a lack of desire. I mean, I've been here for 20 years. You're some of the most servant-minded people I've ever been around as a church body. It's not a lack of desire. It's a lack of time and energy because we're so busy doing things that seem important to us in the moment. But I can tell you the majority of your true service opportunities will often appear as interruptions in the busyness of your schedule. In fact, that's one of the most interesting things about Jesus' life. The majority of miracles Jesus performed were the result of an interruption. In other words, Jesus was doing something, going somewhere. You know, he had stuff on his agenda, and somebody with a need would show up in his life. I mean, it happened with the very first miracle. Right? In the wedding in Cana, Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus didn't go to that wedding with his disciples in order to perform that miracle. He just went, the text would seem to indicate, he just wanted to go and chill out with his disciples, kind of engage with the community. But when the family ran out of wine, Jesus' mom came to him and said, they need your help. And Jesus pulled the Ernest and Julio Gallo card and said, I will make no wine before it's time. Those of you over 50 get that reference there, right? But Jesus' mom did what moms do. She just completely ignored him and told the servants, he will help you. And what did Jesus do? He changed the water into wine. It was an interruption. Look how many times Jesus is teaching large crowds, and in the middle of teaching, people show up and need healing, and Jesus stops. And One time, Jesus is in the middle of teaching and they literally cut a hole in the roof and lowered down a paralyzed man on the mat right in front of Jesus, right in the middle of his message. And Jesus didn't say, pull him up and I'll check on him later when I'm done with this important message. No, he stopped and he served him, forgave his sins and healed his disease. My favorite example of Jesus being available takes place the day before the last week of his life begins. You know that last week, that passion week that we celebrate every spring? Man, if you could have got a hold of Jesus' iPhone and checked out his Google calendar for that week, you see it was packed. 
I mean, he had the whole triumphal entry parade. Then he had to go down to the temple and turn over the money changers' tables. Not to mention organize and find a caterer for the Last Supper and the Passover meal. Uh, on top of having to have three trials plus a crucifixion and a resurrection. All of that takes place in one Week. It was a busy week, and literally, as Jesus and his disciples are walking to Jerusalem to start this jam-packed, most important week of Jesus' life. I mean, this is the whole reason Jesus came. They're on the way to start that week, and two blind guys on the side of the road somehow figure out Jesus is coming by, and they begin to scream, help us. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, the disciples, understanding the importance of what they're going to Jerusalem for, say to these blind guys, you know, ain't nobody got time for that. Hush, he's busy. We're on a mission. We're going to Jerusalem to usher in the kingdom of God. This is important stuff. But Jesus' reaction, very different. Notice Matthew 20, 32. Jesus stopped and said to the blind men, what do you want me to do for you? Fascinating response. What? Right? First of all, that Jesus would stop in the middle of all this busyness. But secondly, Jesus would ask two blind guys, what do you want me to do for you? That's a strange question, right? You assume if blind guys are begging on the side of the road asking for help, probably what they want is to be able to see. And yet Jesus doesn't assume that. He asks, why? I don't know for sure, but I think there's something in Jesus asking that as a way of speaking value and worth over these two blind guys. To just say, you're not just some object to show my glory and God's glory. You are a human being who has needs, and I want to connect with you and know what those needs are. Here's why I think this is important to us. Because sometimes, especially as Christians, when we go to serve others, either individually or collectively as a church, Sometimes we go in with this mindset of seeing ourselves as the knight in shining armor, right? We're, we're the Savior, right? Uh, we're from the church, and we know what you need. Instead of taking the time to connect and get to know people and find out what their true needs are, because let me tell you something. A lot of times, the need that you see is just a symptom of a much deeper need. And so it's all about being making yourself your life available to help others, to serve with humility. Now, you know, if you've been around Cedar Creek Church any length of time, we talk often about being shaped to serve. We believe that the Bible teaches each and every one of us as followers of Jesus have been uniquely and individually handcrafted and shaped by God to serve God by serving others. That word shape is just an acronym, right? You've got a spiritual gift. You've got hearts, passions, things that you care about. You've got certain abilities. You've got a unique personality. You've even got a unique set of life experiences. And we believe God uses all of those to help you serve effectively. Jesus had a shape to serve. Jesus had a very specific reason and mission for coming. He was shaped to live a sinless life. He was shaped to die a substitutionary death. That was his shape. That was the ultimate purpose. But Jesus often responded to the needs he saw right in front of him. 
That's why as a church we believe, yes, serving long-term is always done best out of your shape, but we also believe sometimes it's just see a need, meet a need. Sometimes it's that person that seems like an interruption that God brings into our life. It's often our greatest opportunities to serve with humility. But it ain't going to happen unless we walk through our life with a mindset of availability. Not only does humble service require my availability, second thing it requires is a heart of gratitude. Right? To serve humbly, I must have an attitude of gratitude, which to me just sounds backwards, right? I mean, if I'm giving up my time, my energy to help you, shouldn't you be the one who should be grateful that I'm willing to do this? That's how I think, but that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God usually turns what we think upside down because the Bible clearly teaches that as Christ followers, we should be grateful for any and every opportunity we have to serve others. Take the Apostle Paul, for example, right? Probably the greatest Christ follower who ever lived. Planted most of the churches in the early century of the uh, Christian church. And in his spare time, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, he's a rock star uh, Christ follower, And yet, look at what Paul would say to his young protege, Timothy, 1 Timothy 1. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. And notice this, I thank him that he considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Humble servants are always grateful for the opportunity to serve, to be used by God to make a difference in the lives of others. You know, here at Cedar Creek, we have a whole lot of ministries that require a whole lot of volunteers to serve humbly week in and week out in our in-person services. It literally takes hundreds of people to pull all this together, greeters, parking lot, security, ushers, sound, media, not to mention the folks who are over pouring into the lives of our children and our students. It takes tons of volunteers, humble servants to make this gathering happen. And in the 21 years I've been a part of this church family, what I have noticed is that our best volunteers, our most effective servants, The people with the most joy in their lives are those who are simply grateful for the opportunity to serve. They're not there out of obligation or they're not there so they can say Cedar Creek has to have me. Without me, the whole thing falls apart. No, they're going, thank you, God, that there was space and place for me. You know, I said earlier that sometimes serving can be a smokescreen for our own self-centeredness. We do it for the affirmation. We do it for the recognition. Now hear me, nothing wrong with affirming and recognizing those who serve faithfully. We try to do that as a church. But let me tell you something, if that's your motivation, if that's why you're serving, there will never be enough affirmation. There'll never be enough recognition to keep you going and serving faithfully. Because eventually you're going to have to do something to give away yourself in a way that nobody sees or recognizes. 
but God does. He sees it all. Listen, in the kingdom of God, when it comes to his servants, never confuse anonymity with insignificant. Because there's no insignificant service in God's kingdom. He uses it all. You know the name Billy Graham. You know who he is and the impact he had sharing the gospel with millions, if not billions, of people. But let me ask you this. Do you know the name of the usher who helped Billy Graham find a seat in that Mordecai Ham crusade where he would give his life to Jesus? Do you know that man's name? Do you know the people who showed up early and set up the chairs under that tent so that people could come to it? Do you know the person who was working the sound booth? Do you know the names of the people who were caring for the children during that crusade? No, we don't know their names. God does, but we know the impact they had. That that anonymous service was not insignificant. God uses everything, every act of service done with true humility. And as you begin to understand that you have to serve with an attitude of gratitude, there's a, a third thing and maybe one of the most important things in serving humbly is that it requires serving the unworthy. Serving the unworthy. Can I just tell you up front, anybody and everybody that you serve will in one way or another be unworthy of your service. I mean, unless Jesus comes back bodily on this earth, you're never going to help a person who is worthy of your service. See, that's the thing. Humble service is not based on the worthiness of our recipients, but on the heart of the servant. You may remember last week we talked about forgiveness. And one of the things about, I said about forgiveness is that forgiving others is not about them. It's about you. It's about your relationship with God. Serving others is the same. Who we serve is not about how worthy they are. It's about who God has called us to be. This is so important because our tendency is to serve those who we view as most deserving of our service. We've taken this myth that God helps those who help themselves, which by the way, that is a myth. The Bible doesn't say that. Billy Graham, I mean, uh, Benjamin Franklin said that, not Billy Graham. Benjamin Franklin said God helps those who help themselves. The Bible says the exact opposite. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves and are completely dependent on him. But what we do is we take that myth, this idea that God helps those who help themselves, and we dole out our service based on those who we think have done enough to earn our service. Let me, let me give you an example of this. And I, I really wrestled all week with whether or not I wanted to share this. It's something I've been wrestling with but I hesitate to share it for a couple of reasons. One, because there's political aspects to this. So please hear me. I'm not sharing this to make some sort of political statement. I'm sharing it to show my tendency, and probably yours as well, to be willing to serve those who we feel like deserve our service. And what I'm talking about is in my heart, 
Over these last couple of weeks, as I've watched these horrible scenes unfold in Afghanistan, my immediate thought was, what can we do to help these people, especially those who helped our military, the translators? Maybe we can, you know, host these refugees here at Cedar Creek. We can do something. I had that thought overwhelming, and yet I think the Spirit of God reminded me, Philip, there have been refugees coming into this country from all over the world. Why do you feel differently about these? than you do about others. And that's when it hit me. It's because I want to help those who have helped me, who have helped themselves, who are worthy of my service. But you don't see that in Jesus' life. Right? One of my favorite examples is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. At that last supper, right? And, and what we often forget is we say, well, those, those were his friends, right? They've been with him, and they were going to carry on the message. Surely, makes sense he would serve him. What we forget is that in that week leading up, in fact, in that day, walking into Jerusalem, when Jesus was facing the most stressful and difficult thing in his life. And if ever there was a time the disciples should have helped Jesus, focus on Jesus, serve Jesus, it was them. But do you know what they were doing? Arguing amongst themselves as to which one of them was the greatest. Trying to figure out where they were in the pecking order. Here's their leader who had done everything for them in need and they can't get themselves out of the center. And so what does Jesus do? He washes their feet. Pastor Chuck Swindoll describes that upper room in the Last Supper as a room full of proud hearts and dirty feet. It amazes me that Jesus washed those undeserving disciples' feet, but you know what amazes me even more? Jesus washed Judas' feet. And Jesus already knew that Judas had made up his mind to betray him. And he washed his feet anyway. Notice John 13. It says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. How does Jesus respond? He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And not only did Jesus wash Judas' feet, but I'm convinced he washed them with the same tenderness and compassion that he did every other disciple. Here's why I say that. Because later in the meal, Jesus would say, one of you sitting at this table will betray me, and nobody knew who he was talking about. And so if Jesus had been cold towards Judas or just kind of went through the motions of washing his feet and didn't show, it would be obvious to everybody that Jesus was the outcast. But no, Jesus washed Judas' feet in spite of the fact that he wasn't worthy of that service. See, I don't think Jesus worried about the outcome of his service to others. I believe he trusted God completely to use whatever he served with and whoever he served for God's glory. See, I don't think Jesus worried that if he washed Judas' feet, the other disciples would assume later on that Jesus was condoning betrayal, that somehow Jesus was condoning what Judas would do. Jesus wasn't worried about that, but we do, right? 
We're hesitant to serve people who live a, a lifestyle that is contradictory to Scripture because we say, oh, if I serve those people, then people might think I'm thinking that's okay. You don't see that with Jesus, and nor should we see it in the way we serve others. Let me just tell you something. If you're going to serve like Jesus, if you're going to serve with humility, you're going to wash some undeserving feet. Now hear me, I'm not talking about some kind of weird codependency where you're doing things to help somebody that doesn't really help them. You're just doing it because it makes you feel better. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying stop worrying about who you're serving and just serve with a humble heart. And the only way that happens is this fourth requirement for humble service and that is a strength greater than my own. Humble service requires a strength greater than my own. We all have strengths. We all have ability. We all have things we're good at. We all have things that just come naturally to us. And God uses those gifts when we serve others. But the ultimate source of our service is not our strength, but God's strength in us. Peter, the disciple, the apostle Peter, a man who would spend his entire adult life serving others humbly. As an old man, looking back over his life, he would write these words in 1 Peter 4. Anyone who serves should serve with the strength God gives. Why? So then in everything, God will be praised through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If you try to serve others in your own strength, two things will happen. One, it puts the focus on you. People will look at you and go, man, look how strong, look how wonderful, look how helpful they are. And it becomes all about you, not about who God is. But the second thing that will happen if you try to serve out of your own strength is you will burn out. You will eventually hit the wall. You may be able to do it for years, but at some point, the needs of the people around you are going to exceed any strength that you have. And the reason I know that is because I have experienced it. Twelve years ago in the transition when I became the senior pastor of Cedar Creek Church, while I knew in my head that Jesus had promised that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, somehow I was convinced in my heart that the burden landed on me, that it was my responsibility, that it was in my strength, my performance, my work ethic that would finally move the church to where Jesus wanted it to be. And at the end of that five years, I hit a wall. Some of you remember, I stood right on this very stage and confessed a complete emptiness. Why? Because I had been trying to serve in my own strength. Instead of depending on and leaning in to God's strength. And you know, I look back now, I look at those first five years of my role as senior pastor, and it's amazing how smooth everything was in the external. 
My life, the life of my family, my kids, my marriage, everything was going great. The church was going great. It was unbelievably healthy and growing. And yet with all of that happening, somehow I still felt I could do more in my own strength. And this week as I was thinking about that, I compared those five years to these past three years in my life where it seems like nothing is going smooth. The death of our oldest son, the death of both my parents, a global pandemic, not to mention my own cancer diagnosis. And yet with all of that chaos, yes, I'm tired. Yes, I'm weary, but I'm still here by God's strength, not mine. It's depending on him. I don't share that with you so you can go, yay, Phil, ain't our senior pastor so spiritually strong? No, I don't share that to say, yay, Philip, I share it for the exact opposite. So you'll say, yay, God. What kind of God do we serve who gives strength for the struggles of life? You've heard me say before, your greatest ministry will often come out of your deepest pain. Can I add this to this? Your greatest acts of service may very well come out of your deepest moments of fatigue, of exhaustion. Because when it's, you finally get to the end of you and who you think you are, that's where you'll find God's strength. And here's some good news for you. As tired as we all are, and man, aren't we tired we're tired of the pandemic. We're tired of the division. We're tired of the anger. We're tired of the politics. And yet in our fatigue, we've never had a greater opportunity as a church to show the hope of Jesus through the way we serve. The $64,000 question is, how do you get that strength? How do you tap in and let that your service flow out of God's strength? Well, I think part of the answer is this Habitude series. These daily habits done with the right attitude. As we develop those in our lives, become more consistent with, they draw us closer and more intimately with Jesus and allow his strength to flow through us. So can I just ask you a personal question? What's your next step? What would serving with humility look like for you? For some of you, maybe it's that first step to step up and serve here within the church family. Uh, serving on Sunday morning. If you're in person at one of our campuses, you can do that. There are always opportunities. Our goal as a church is to have a place in a way that anybody and everybody can serve, no matter what they are in their journey to spiritual growth. We want everybody to have a place to serve. And what better place to try out your humble service wings than in the safety and security of a loving church family? who will walk with you. So maybe for some of you, it's time to check on that little tear-off card and say, I'm ready to try it. I'm ready to step up and serve. For those of you watching online, there's a link there. You can click that. Maybe it's time for you to come in person 
and start to serve. If you're not ready for that or you don't live near a campus that you could serve in, you can actually serve online. We need virtual hosts, virtual greeters, people to connect with new folks who are joining online. There's some place for you to serve. And if you're not, maybe that's your next step. I think for those of us who do serve, maybe the most important next step is to deepen our dependence on Jesus, to begin to build these habitudes in a way that gives us a strength that allows God to do in and through us what we could never do in and through ourselves and to bring him glory and impact the people around us. I don't know what your next step is, but I do know this. We're all called to serve humbly. We're called to do that with each other here inside the church family, and we're called to do that outside the walls of this church. That's why I want to close with this last verse on your outline from Galatians 5. Paul says, as Christians, we've been set free, but look at what he says. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't make it about you. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That is inside the church as believers. But he says the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that in the midst of all the chaos, all the fear, all the overwhelming circumstances, that we can put our eyes on you. We can hold to your unchanging truths, to your love, that we can lean back and be carried by you. You can give us a strength we could never have on our own. But Father, I know you give us that strength when we live with a humble desire to give away what we have to those around us. Help us to have hearts and minds that are available for the next person that you bring across our path. Help us to stop and pray and seek what you want us to do. Help us to care enough to not see ourselves as some kind of Messiah coming in to rescue and fix those people. But help us sit down and be one of those people to know the true needs of people and then to give it away without worrying about who or what it's gonna do. Just trusting in you as you lead us to be humble servants who reflect Jesus to a world desperate for that. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.